Let's pray together. Father, thank you for you once again. And now as we uh, turn to your word, Father, we have been looking these, these past few weeks at Thanksgiving. And really the profound truth that Thanksgiving is more than just one month out of the year. That as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are to be abounding, to be giving thanks continuously. In fact, it's a testimony, it's part of our doxology, it's, it's fruit of our lives to be giving thanks in and for everything. And so, Father, we uh, continue to um, desire how to do this, what it means to do this. And, and as we do that again today, Father, uh, through your word, do what only you can do in the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and minds to understand your word and then bring the application to each one of us. Thank you for everyone here, Lord, and and now we just yield, submit to what only you can do in and through your word. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we've been looking at being living doxologies. What is a doxology? It's a glory saying, right? There's a song, the doxology, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we sing that, and it's a God-glorifying, God-centric, God-focused song. And we've seen the last several Sundays that that's supposed to be us, that we are supposed to be living doxologies, right? That our lives are to be glory sayings. So, so just take a moment. And reflect on the last six, seven days since you were here, um, this past week, in all various situations, work, home, with your friends, school, whatever. Was your life a doxology today, this week? What, what, did, you, did your life bring glory to God? Right? Because people were listening. People were watching. Especially if you call yourself a Christian and you put yourself out there in the community, just reflect. Were you a doxology? Did your life speak, right? How'd you do? And then specifically for the last couple weeks, in the realm of thanksgiving, just in the last week, maybe in the last 24 hours, Were you giving thanks in all circumstances? Last week we talked about that we should be abounding. Were you abounding in thanksgiving? Because that's part of our doxology, right? We saw last week that that thanksgiving, one of the challenges with giving thanks continuously is that we're raised genuinely uh, when we're small. When we ask for something, we say, Okay, we say please. Usually we say please when we're asking, right? So, so we're little, and some of you have small, you know, the kids that went there. So, hey, so, you know, what do you say when you're asking? You say, and then when you get it, what do you say? Thank you, right? So we've been raised that thank you sort of is connected to getting something. And that's not bad. That's not bad. Except for the fact that as believers... We're to be abounding in thanksgiving. In fact, we're to be giving thanks in all circumstances, not just for what we get. And that's a radical, life-transformative truth that really, quite honestly, has got to be a work of the Spirit. Right? Because most of the time, we're just 
thinking about what we don't have, maybe grumbling and complaining, comparing, wishing I would get, 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 right? So just think about that. In your life, how much is giving thanks tied to getting something versus responding to all that God gives you continuously? Responding to his promises, responding to his character, right? And we're, we're going to continue looking at, at this. And why, why is this important? We looked at this quote a, a couple of weeks ago. It says, if your theology has no doxology, your theology is idolatry. Let me, let me put that in, in words that maybe help you understand. If you're coming to church and you're learning a lot of stuff, but the stuff isn't playing out into your life to glorify God, then you're just coming in to learn stuff. And you've elevated learning stuff as the highest goal. And that's not really the goal of it. My, my, my prayer, our prayer is that when you come to church or Bible study or whatever context where you open the Word of God to learn theology, to learn the things of God, to learn biblical truth, it's got to have a higher purpose, which is to honor God. Amen? That's the end game, right? In fact, James says, don't be hearers, or don't be hearers only, but be doers. In fact, if you only come to church to hear and you don't do it, the book, James says you're deceived. In fact, he says very powerfully, he says you're deluded. You're deluded. That's so powerful. If you come to church to only hear and to take notes and then tuck it away and say, well, that was a good sermon. What's for lunch? The book of James says you're deluded. You're deluded. You're to be hearers and doers. In fact, in the Old Testament, hearing and doing were inseparable. There's a quote that says, you haven't heard unless you do. You haven't heard unless you do. Right? That's, that's biblical hearing. Right? And so, if we're coming to learn about Thanksgiving... How have you been doing with the doing part? Have, have you been more thankful? Has, has it become more of an ingrained habit, right? Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're to be doxologies. Giving thanks is part of our doxology, right? Colossians 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That word abounding we saw last Sunday is a, a river that's overflowing its banks. So our testimony as Christians is to have abounding thanksgiving. Abounding. Just think about that. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 ties, links, abounding in thanksgiving to spiritual maturity. See, again, a lot of us in the church equate spiritual maturity with knowing more stuff, getting deeper, knowing the Greek, knowing the Hebrew, all that kind of stuff, right? Coming to Tuesday, coming to Wednesday, all this stuff. We equate maturity with more stuff, whereas here, a sign of maturity is abounding in thanksgiving. Right? You've got to be real careful about how you're equating and what you're looking for in terms of maturity, especially in this realm of thanksgiving. Especially in this realm of thanksgiving, right? First Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. We looked at this two weeks ago. The difference between in that verse is in, not for. So think about the circumstances. Think of the very trying, stressful, painful, scary, confusing circumstance you're facing this week or right now as you sit here. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, are you giving thanks in it? Because according to 1 Thessalonians 5.18, that's God's will. That's God's will. Right now, Think of the worst circumstance you're in or have been in recently. God's will is that you would give thanks in it, in the midst of it. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's a step of faith. But you know what? When you do that, it glorifies Him. Why? Because you are choosing to focus, and we looked at this, we're focusing on the promise, not the problem. This past week, were you focused on the problems of your life or the promises of God? Because if you're focused on the promises of God, you can give thanks in it. Because God promises to work all things for the of those who love Him, right? Not that all things are good, but He will work all things for the good, for His children. So this is all this part of sanctification, all part of growing, right? And today we're going to continue to look at, at the basis for being able to give thanks, not just on Thanksgiving, not just for, you know, be thankful to God month. That's kind of weird, right? It's like November is be thankful to God month, and the rest of the year we just get stuff from Him. But one month out of the year, we're going to be thankful to God. No, no, it's 24-7, 365, right? How do we do this? Well, you've got to get in. You've got to be giving thanks in. You've got to recognize it's a work of the Holy Spirit. But look, in three verses in Psalms, Psalm 107-1, 118-1, all say the same, same thing. It says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. You see, the foundation, the basis of being able to give thanks is just part of my fruit of my life, is that God is good. Giving thanks is rooted in the character of God. So we saw that First Thessalonians, it's rooted in the promises of God, so you can give thanks in all circumstance. These three verses tell us you can give thanks continuously because it's rooted in the character of God. Radical shift from just saying thank you for getting stuff. Right? When was the last time you said, God, thank you. I just want to give thanks for you. I want to give thanks for who you are. I want to give thanks for your goodness. When was the last time that focal point was, was the reason for giving thanks? Right? And again, it's an awareness. It's something you've got to catch yourself. Right? You've got to catch yourself. And why is this important? Kirk Cloninger says this, Show me what someone's view of God is, and I'll show you how they live their lives. Show me what someone's view of God is, and I'll show you how they live their lives. So how good do you really believe God is? His goodness. Right? Specific to that. Because we saw this continuum that I like to share with you. Beliefs, thoughts, emotions, actions. Right? So if we're going to be bearing the fruit, if our actions are going to be continuously giving thanks, or we're going to be abounding in thanksgiving, you've got to ask yourself, 
Well, if I'm not, maybe it goes back to my beliefs. What do I believe about the realm of thanksgiving? What do I believe about how thanksgiving is tied to God? What do I believe about God's character? What do you really believe about God's character? Because around here, we often say God is good and all the time. Do you believe that? Hmm. Careful, because it's tied to thanksgiving. Right? There's a relationship there. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when I say God, what comes to mind? Now, I I asked, uh, we were in a a men's Bible study years ago, and I asked that same question. I handed out pieces of paper and pencils, and I said, okay, draw me a picture of God. What you just, when I say God, when you think of God, what do you think of? All across the spectrum, some guys drew the principles, the principal's office. Somebody drew lightning bolts. What would you draw? Because A.W. Tozer says what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing. What do you think about God? Seriously. I mean, just be honest. Just you know, you don't have to share that, but be be honest. Is God angry? Is it sinners in the hands of an angry God? Is God Santa Claus? Right? Does God look like a grandfather? Is God watching us from a distance? Is God here? What's God's emoji? If I were to ask you, right, what's the emoji that comes to mind when I say God? Crying, hearts with the eyes, right? What's the emoji? Because it, it impacts how you relate to him, which means it impacts how you live your life. Which impacts your thanksgiving. What's your view of God? Uh, if you are honest, right? If you have, maybe, honestly, if you want to, and, and I'm just giving you a chance to be real, maybe if you have one of the church bulletins, go ahead and draw the little emoji. It's fine. It's okay. Because the truth is, God already knows what you think about him anyway. He already knows the emoji that came in your head. So you're not hiding it from him, Right? It's so important that we understand the relationship between God's goodness, his character, his goodness, and thanksgiving. Because if we're not settled, if we're not sure, if we're not confident that God is good and all the time, right, uh, you're going to waver. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna kind of be on unsettled ground, right? So what does it even mean that God is good? I mean, that, this word good, I mean, and especially in our culture, it was good. God is good, right? We sang, it was the first song, right? Gathering song, God is good, right? Well, again, Tozer says this, The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of good toward men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature... He is inclined to bestow blessedness and he takes total pleasure in the happiness of his people. Amen. Think about that. God, your father, takes total pleasure 
in your goodness, in your happiness, in your blessedness. See, a lot of us are still struggling with an angry God who's waiting for you to mess up the next time. Or a God who's hiding something from you. Or a God who's sort of good most of the time. Goodness, you got to, I mean, this is one of these things, you got to let it go from here to here and permeate your whole being because this will radically change your relationship with God and it will radically change your view of life and radically change almost every relationship in your life if you really grasp the goodness of God. It, it means there's no evil in Him. His intentions and motivations are always good. His intentions and motivations are always good good for you. He always does what is right. The outcome of his plan is always good. He always acts in accordance to what is right, true, and good. He cannot do anything that is unholy or unrighteous. God is the standard of all that is good. See, this is very important. Words matter. It doesn't mean that God does good. God is good. He is the very essence of good. It's His nature. He manifests good, but it's, He is the standard. He is the essence. All good comes from Him. This is the nature of our Father. Amen? This is who you say you're, you're a child of. Right? We sing this song, You're a good, good Father. Do you, do you really understand more what it means? Now, why is this challenging? I'll be honest with you. Some of us didn't have good, good fathers. And some of us may have not had a father figure. And so this idea that you're in a father-child relationship and your father is the essence of good? This is very nature. Everything towards you is good, good, good. He wants to bless you. Everything in your life, ultimately, he'll work for your good. I get that that can be challenging. There's trust issues. There's betrayal issues. There's abandonment issues. There's wounded issues. All of that at the human level. I get all that. That's why you can't just gloss over this. That's why maybe you're a little bit struggling with Giving thanks, right? Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Well, gosh, is He? Because when I hear the word father and dad in my journey, I don't know if I would say good all the time. Maybe good most of the time. Maybe good some of the time. Maybe good rarely. I don't know your story. I know mine. And so this God is good all the time, equated to a father figure, being good all the time. Man, how many of you kind of blows your mind? That's a mind blower. That you're in a father-child relationship and your father is the essence of good. He cannot not do good. That's your father. And you're in relationship with him. And he's intimately involved in every area of your life. In his goodness. That's why we got to get this. That's why you got to take the time. And then, and then it says this. Not only is he good, your father, who is the essence of good, the Bible says he's immutable. Now that's kind of a big word. It's up on the screens. It means he doesn't change. His mind, his will, or his nature. 
So one of the characteristics of God is God is immutability or is God is immutable, right? Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man, so he does not lie. So your father does not lie. He is not human. He does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Malachi 3, 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. James 1.17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no, and one say no, no variation or shadow due to change. Those three verses should give you some incredible joy and peace about the goodness of God. Amen? He doesn't change. How many of you have some fickle friends? How many of you might be, I was sitting next to someone who often changes, right? Your moods change, your minds change, you just, you know, change, change. Oh, I thought I did, I don't want to, right? The crazy, incredible thing about the immutability of God our Father is He doesn't change. Now relate that to His goodness. How many would love to be in a relationship with someone who couldn't change? Like, you were just like, sweet, I know what I'm getting day in and day out. Just turn to the person next to you and smile. (laughs) Right? Right? Versus like, you wake up and you're like, okay, what are we getting today? Right? Come home from school, come home from work, whatever. You're like, okay, take a quick temperature check. Where are we at? Right? The good news is, with God our Father, because He's good all the time, He's immutable, we can rest. He doesn't change in His character, specifically today, in His goodness. Now, why do you have to settle this? Again, you've got to take the time to settle this. Larry Crabb says this, When I am not convinced that God is good, I will quietly, but with tight-lipped resolve, take over responsibility for my own well-being. Mm. It just gets, it's just, this is where it gets real. When I'm not convinced that God is good, I will quietly but with tight-lipped resolve take over responsibility for my own well-being. Well, if I can't trust Him, and if I don't know if He's good, my default is me. I go to self-protection. I go to pleasing myself. I go to getting what I want because now I'm in charge of getting what I believe is for my benefit and my good because I really can't trust him. This is, this is where a lot of us, again, just sitting there and going, wow, have I settled the issue of God's goodness? Or, Father, show me areas in my life, honestly, where I'm still taking responsibility for it. I'm still in the driver's seat. could be your finances, your career, your kids. Do you believe God is good in every area of your life? Because if you're not convinced, you're going to take it slowly. Little by little, you're going to creep back into the driver's seat. Right? Where do we see this in, in Scripture? We looked at this several weeks ago. Genesis 3. Remember in the garden, the fall? The serpent says this in Genesis 3, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What was the serpent's strategy? Hey, Eve, God's not good. Well, what do you mean? Well, he's keeping something from you. He got Eve to doubt God's goodness. And as soon as that doubt crept in, Eve acted independently and took responsibility for her life. And here's the thing. Same strategy today. So application. Is there an area of your life where you're doubting God's goodness? Is there an area of your life where you're not convinced that God is good and is willing good and is motivated towards good and is intending good for you as his child? Is there an area right now? Because if there is, then there's a power struggle going on. And it's an issue of faith and it's an issue of trust. Right? That's what's going on. That's why the struggle. There's a story in Mark 4, right? It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, hey, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. So Jesus is asleep in the middle of a storm. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't miss that. That's not a question. It's an accusation. A storm has arisen as they're trying to cross. Jesus is asleep. They freak out. They panic. They think they're all going to drown. They wake him up and says, hey, why don't you care? You don't care, do you? You don't care. And that's what can happen to us when we're not convinced that God is good and we're going through a storm in our life and the waves are coming over and you think it's all going to come crashing down. You've got to be real careful that you don't accuse God of not caring. Because if you accuse God and you doubt and you start saying, well, where are you? Don't you care? Don't you see? Where are you? Good God. As soon as you go there, you're going to take the reins. Right? And you're going to affect your art. You don't want to come to church. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to pray anymore because this good God has let you down and is asleep apparently. This is what can happen when we're not convinced of God's goodness. We become circumstance-driven. We become feelings-driven. We become self-reliant. And we saw, what is, the, what is the core of temptation? Act independent of God. Well, if God's not good all the time, and if I can't rely on him, if he's going to fall asleep, crying out loud, if he's sleeping in the midst of my storm, well, I just got to act independent. Somebody's got to drive this ship. Right? That's why you've got you to gotta really be honest with yourself about the goodness of God in every area of your life. In every area of your life. And we're going to walk through this psalm together because there's a guy named Asaph. And I love this psalm. And we're not going to go through every verse. We're going to walk through it. Because Asaph is going to be an incredible example for, for us who, who are challenged with God's goodness. Right? Now, who was Asaph? Asaph was one of the worship leaders. He was in the choir, the tabernacle choir. That's Asaph. So this is a church leader, for crying out loud. A church leader 
a choir worship leader who knows all the worship songs. He knew all the songs. He was leading people, apparently, in some sort of leadership position in the town. He was one of the big cheeses, a church leader. And yet he struggled with God's goodness, despite his position. Right? And so we're going to walk through Psalm 73, and we're going to see what happens with Asaph. So Psalm 73, verse 1, starts out really good. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. This is what Asaph says. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Amen? Right? God is good. And all the time. Right? So he makes this great basic theological statement. Truly, God is good to Israel. Right? Yeah, woohoo! Right? Just like every Sunday. God is good. And all, see, you're not, now you're scared because you're not saying it. And all the time. Woohoo! Theological statement. Theological statement. Woo! Check it off. Really good. Woo! Good. Okay. Till we get to verse 2. Look what happens in verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All right, so verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel. Right? Woo! And he's like, but you got, I can be honest. I almost stumbled in, and I almost crashed and burned here. Well, why, Asaph? Well, I was on YouTube and Instagram, and I watched TV, sports, and all these kinds of shows, and the wicked, ungodly people, they're living it up. They got cars and houses. They're traveling. They dress nice. Everyone on Instagram smiling. They travel, right? I don't get it. I don't get it. I look around and all these people who want nothing to do with God seem to be prospering. Not a care in the world. What's up with that, good God? You see, he's, he, he, he has this theological statement, truly God is good to Israel. Then he looks out into what's happening in the real world and the definitions don't match. Something is wrong. His wires are getting crossed. Because he looks on this planet and he's like, why are, all the pro- why are all the wicked prospering? What's up with the nice houses and the nice cars and they're traveling and they're smiling? In fact, by golly, they're all sleeping in. They're sleeping in right now, just in that neighborhood right there. Not a care in the world about God or heaven or anything. They got it pretty made. Sundays are their sleep-in days. I don't get this. It's not fair. It's not right. I'm angry. That's not how... I don't think if I was a good God, I wouldn't do it that way. How many of you have ever put yourself and said, if I was God? Fill in the blank. See, I'm kind of scared because if some of you were God, there would be like no one left on the planet. Like, it's like, okay, so much for God's grace and compassion. 
Crazy, right? He's struggling. He's struggling. All the people who want nothing to do with Jesus seem to have the quote-unquote good life and the American dream. And they seem to be getting away with it. Thank you very much. And he's struggling deep down with the goodness of God. The goodness of God. And, and here's, here's the challenging thing. Then he turns inward and he starts to look at his own life. So he has this idealized picture of the prosperity of the wicked and now he turns inward and kind of has a woe is me. Because look what he says in verse 13 and 14. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Okay, if we're honest... You look out and you see all these wicked people prospering, traveling, eating good, all stuff. They don't care. They're sleeping in right now. I got to get up to go to church. And all day I just think of how bad I am as a Christian. And God just seems to be disciplining me all the time. I'm so horrible. And look at them. They're sleeping in. They just got to walk 50 yards, cross the street, walk in the door. But no, they're sleeping. They're sleeping. And I just, I, I felt so guilty. I didn't want to come today. But I knew God would be mad at me. And Pastor Richie would probably call me and say, where are you? Where were you? He's turned it inward. And he looks at how bad his life is and how good their life is. And it's just twisting him and torquing him up. Right? It's so strange. He's like, God, you're letting them get away with it. And all I get from you is how bad I am. And where I don't measure up. He's really really getting twisted with this goodness of God thing. He's trying to make sense of it. He doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. Now, you got to be careful because some of us go there. Believe me, their life isn't as good as it appears on Instagram. Amen? And your life isn't as bad as you think it is. Amen? We just tend to exaggerate and go to extremes when we're in the midst of a pity party. We we really do. Right? So be careful. Check yourself. But the core of this is he's struggling with God's goodness. What he sees and what he experiences. He's trying to make it fit. And it's just not fitting. He just doesn't. It's just so inconsistent. Right? And then he finally gets to himself, verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He gets to the point, he's just stuck. He's like, what's the point? Right? I'm just tired. I'm tired of trying to figure it out. It doesn't make sense. Uh, I guess it's just me. What's the use? Right? That's where he gets to. And then he, does, he, makes, he makes this choice, this incredible decision, right? He says this, verse 17 to 22. Until, everyone say until. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. 
Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He does something. He's like torqued. He's confused. He's done. And he makes this great decision. Go to church. Go to church. Until I went into the sanctuary of God and something Incredible, supernatural happened when he went to church. His perspective got put where it needs to be, based on biblical truth. His perspective went off of me and you, off of do-do-do, and comparing. He went like, he got his eyes off a of man and off of himself, and his eyes went up like this. And he saw it from God's perspective. Radical Perspective change, right? This is, you've seen me do this before, and this is one of the, the reasons we love when we gather. How many of you have challenging weeks Monday through Saturday, Monday through Friday? Anyone? Okay, everyone's hand should be up, right? We all have challenges, right? And we get it, and things happen, and you get you know bills, and you get sick, and someone says something to you, and work's not going well, right? It's easy over six days, five days, just to get inundated. And your thought life to go horizontal and your thought life to get problem-centered and people-centered and circumstance-centered and to come in here, woe is me, right? One of the incredible values that we get, one of the benefits, just like Asaph, we come here, you worship, you get the Word, and it helps you, you've seen me do this before, see things through God's eyes again. Most of the time we're like this. You come to church, you worship, you hear God's word, and hopefully you leave here going, oh, okay, I got it. Woo! Woo, took a, took a detour there this week. But now I get, I get it. I'm supposed to see those two right there through God's eyes. Hey, Carrie, Yarrow, good to see you right there through God's eyes. Because right? as believers, this is what we're supposed to, how we're supposed to live, right? Right here. This is our lens. Everything you see on TV, everything you see around you is supposed to be coming through the Word of God first. It's called the biblical worldview. Everything you hear, TV, movies, music, is it filtered through here? How does it measure up to this? This is why you kind of come to church. Right? Give you a help. Three, three kind of fundamentals, benefits, whatever you want to call it about coming to church, right? There's worship, right? Over here, Worship. What is worship? Responding to who God is. Worship's not singing. Worship is like, you are God. I gotta sing. I gotta put my hands up. Right? So you come because you worship freely. Right? The word. In Timothy, the church is called the pillar and foundation of truth. You come here, unapologetically, you're going to get God's truth. Okay? Okay? It's authoritative, it's truth. It's, it's foundational, it's, it's just everything we're rooted in, right? And then the third W is what I call we. You come to church because you're part of the family of God. You're part of the body of Christ. Hebrews 10, right? Hebrews 10 says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, you and I have a ministry. Well, okay, you get my ministry, but you have a ministry. When you gather on Sundays, you, according to this verse, are supposed to have a ministry to one another, and it's called encouraging. Stirring and encouraging. There's a reason for you to come here. There's a reason. You don't need to, like, have a badge and go through training. Don't need to put you in a box. According to that verse, it says, encouraging one another. When you come here, you're to be an encourager. Why? Because maybe the person sitting next to you has lost perspective on something. Maybe the person next to you is struggling with the goodness of God. And God's going to use you before or after service to encourage them. You, not me. You. So it's all good. I'm glad we talked. How was your week? How's family? How's that? That's, that's like really good. But here's, here's what I want to encourage us as a church family to have permission to do. Okay? Before church, after church, during the week, call someone, text someone. Ask them how, is there some way I can encourage you? How can I be an encourager to you this, today, right now? Because I guarantee you, one out of one people in this room could probably use some encouragement in some area, if you're honest. Encouragement in hard times, but maybe things are going good and you're doing well. You can ask for encouragement that I would keep doing well. Everyone in here has the ministry of encouragement. That's why we gather. That's the purpose of one anothering. Right? So we come on Sundays. We make the commitment Sunday, Tuesday, whatever you're going to go commit to. The worship... The word and the we. Amen? This is it. Those three should light your fire. Those three radically change your life, right? So he goes to church, and then he gets real. He says this, uh, verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. New Living says this. Then I realized that my heart was bitter. And I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. This is the worship leader in the tabernacle, guys. His heart was bitter. He was all torn up inside. He was kind of torqued. He didn't like what he was seeing. He had a pity party going. And it was affecting his heart. But he confesses it. And I think we're just going to pause right now. And we're going to give you an opportunity, us an opportunity. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're torn up inside about something. Maybe you don't like what you see with the wicked prospering all around you and you're struggling financially. You're struggling relationally. Things aren't going well. And and all these people around you that don't love God, don't even want to come to church, want nothing to do with Jesus, they seem to be just fine. Thank you very much. Maybe that's bothering you and been bothering you for quite a while. And honestly, it's caused you to doubt God's goodness. And then maybe you've turned it to you and say, well, God, I serve you. I give at the church. I get up on Sundays. Where's mine? Where's my payback? How come, I, how come things don't go my way? In fact, isn't it weird, God? How come when I made a decision to follow your son, things got worse? 
And then the person I share my faith with, he wants nothing to do with Jesus, and he got the raise. He seems, I don't get this. I follow Jesus, circumstances tank. He wants nothing to do with Jesus. He's hunky-dory. He's better off. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe, like Asaph, you've been bitter and torn up inside about God's goodness. All right? I'm just going to stop. I'm going to pray. I just want to give you an opportunity to confess that to God. Just be real with Him. Where are you doubting His goodness? Where are you bitter? Where are you questioning if He really intends good for you? What is it? All right? Father, we come to You. And I so appreciate Asaph. He went to church and he got his perspective corrected by you. And in that correction, he had to admit his heart hadn't been right. He was bitter. He was angry. He was torn up inside. He had turned inward. It was all about him. He was keeping score. He really doubted your goodness. So, Father, we just want to stop now and confess areas in our life where we're like Asaph and we're struggling with being convinced that you are good all the time. Father, you say that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as honest as we can be, we confess these sins before you, our lack of faith, our doubt, our bitterness. And by faith in your word, we receive and say thank you for forgiving us right now. Thank you. We receive that forgiveness based on your word. And Father, we acknowledge that we need you in the power of the Holy Spirit to have the faith and the perspective that comes from you through the Spirit, you through your Word, to see everything from your perspective, to see everything through the lens of your goodness. Even when we don't understand why you allow things, we know that you are good and you do not change. So that is our request. That is, that is our specific request. Father, help us to believe and be convinced of your goodness Help us to have the faith, whatever circumstances are allowed in our life, to walk in your goodness, to trust that you truly are good all the time. We pray this in and through Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 23, Asaph suddenly has this kind of worship moment. He says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Do you hear the worship? Do you see the change in perspective? He's so confused and he gets pounded and he turns inward and he has this moment of brokenness, this moment of confession. He's forgiven and suddenly he's like, who am I? Who am I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Everything's good again. Amen? Because it got all put right. He's seeing with clarity. He's like, wow, the fog has cleared. And suddenly it's just, he goes vertical. He remembers who he is in his relationship with his good, good father. And he goes, life truly is biblically good. Whoo! Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You know what those words reflect? Someone convinced of his father's goodness. That's someone who gets God's goodness. Right? And then to verse 28. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Right? In the Young's Living Translation, it says this. Nearness of God to me is good. I have placed in the Lord Jehovah my refuge to recount all, my, all thy works. Here's an important component of this. There's this theological component, academic, that God is good. And all the time. But look what he does here. He says now there's a relational component to God's goodness. It's God's nearness. God isn't just good in his nature. Being near to God is good. Being near to God, walking with him daily is good. How many of you, when you come to church on Sunday, you just go, I, I, I knew I needed to come. Like, there's this, why? Because in this environment, there is an experience of the nearness of God. Amen? You come, you worship freely, we pray, you hear the word, you're around the fellowship of believers. There's a nearness to God that you get to experience, we get to experience every Sunday. That's our prayer. God, let them come and experience you through worship, the word, fellowship. We want you to experience the nearness of God here. Amen? Now go do that the rest of the week. You're like, how do I do that? <laughs> right? Like, it, was, it was great. We were talking about this in leadership. And Bill kind of said, maybe that's why the Roman Catholics have Mass every day. <laughs> right? Nearness of God. It's not just duty. My mom would go to Roman Catholic Church every day. She worked at San Diego State. They had a chapel there. She would go before work. More than just once a week. And this is what I encourage you. How do you... Okay, it's the same principle. How do you experience the word of, uh, the nearness of God here? Worship, word, and we, right? You can kind of do that every day of the week. Worship, word, find somebody. Pray together. Pray together. Encourage one another. If you have more than one friend, find five friends and pick up a different friend every week, every day. You can do those three elements every day of the week and experience the nearness of God every day of the week. It's those three things. Because those are kind of the three elements that go into every Sunday. It's just on a bigger scale. 
But that's kind of what we do here. Every Sunday I park there and the sun's coming up. I'm walking here and I pray that you will experience the nearness of God. You experience God here. That's my heart for you. It's quiet. I'm walking here. Everything's still dark and I'm just praying for this building that whoever comes will experience God. Worship, word, and fellowship. Worship, word, and we. It's kind of the three. And you can take that from here. You can take that from here. Right? And so, he turns this truth into a doxology. And we'll close with this. Psalm uh, 73:28. he says this, But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. And here's that word. It would say that. I may tell of all your works. There's the purpose statement. Right? It's not about him. It's to glorify God. It is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I can go out and speak about God. I can go share this. I can go just be a living doxology. It's not about him. See, much of our Christianity is about me and me and me. And there's a lot of good me in this. God is good to me. God blesses me. I get all that. But then that word in the Bible is so important. That. It's not about you. It's that you would go and tell of all his works. That you would glorify him. That you would be a living doxology. That's the purpose. That's the purpose, right? And so we're going to just close with the song. It's an incredible song. I love this. King of my heart speaks of God's goodness. Come on, Ben. And here's, here's what I want to use this song as a, as a prayer, as an opportunity for you. Think of a situation right now where you're struggling with God's goodness. Okay? It doesn't make sense to you. You're having an Asaph moment like, I don't get this. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Why is this happening then? That doesn't make sense to me. If, if you have one of those situations right now, or you're nervous about something, or you're fearful about something, or you're anxious about something, right? Finances, whatever, relationship, whatever's going on, health. Sing this song as a declaration of faith in the goodness of God. Sing this song as someone convinced that God is good in your situation. Not generically, but that God is good because you're his child. It's his very nature. He does not change. Sing this song. Worship your good, good father. Worship him as a declaration of faith of his goodness in this situation right now that you're struggling with. You may not understand. Have an Asaph moment. Go to 10,000 feet that we call around here. Put that situation in light of God's goodness and in light of who you are in Christ and sing this song as a declaration, a declaration. Drive the stake in the ground and declare through song that God is good and all the time. All right, let's stand and let's sing this song.